Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I am your host and narrator, spring Jack. Thank you all for tuning back in. It is truly remarkable to see how many followers I've kept and gained over the course of my almost two years doing this show. Thank you guys for making it possible, and thank you guys for continuing to be a very, very supportive crowd and very receptive crowd. It's genuinely appreciated. I really do. I really do appreciate you guys. To all those that donate on Patreon, thank you very much. That also blows me away, and I am genuinely grateful to you guys as well. Thank you. And to all new listeners, if this is your first time tuning in, this show at times can be quite rude. I use words like fuck-ass and shit-balls. So if you're easily offended, turn the show off now, because I don't want to deal with your fucking bullshit. And also, I use fake advertisements in this show, uh, the likes of which I do not own the rights to. They're all from Grand Theft Auto, owned by Rockstar Games, and I do not make any money using them, nor do I stand to. I just do it, because they're funny. I didn't have anything to do with the making or production of said advertisements. And on that note, let's get started with one of them fake ads and advertisements, and then we'll jump right in to the meat and potatoes of today's episode. I think you guys will like it. It's a doozy. She may have your balls in a vice, but that doesn't mean you have to lose everything. I'm a salesman, so I'm constantly on the road. My wife was so worried that I'd spend all my time in strip clubs rather than family picnics. That's why she got me the Maibatsu Womb. It's the minivan any man can be proud to drive. There's a cooler for beers, plus a beautiful TV right on the dashboard so you don't miss the game. Now I can watch porn while I'm driving and masturbate on a commute to work. And there's an air horn with a pull chain so other cars know you're coming. The Maibatsu Womb. You may be married, but you're still a man. Honestly. So I'm going to take a trip back to my uh, my roots today. I've gotten away a bit from my true crime start to this podcast, and I want to get back to it because I kind of miss doing that. I had gotten away from it a little bit because the more you read about home invasions and shit, the more paranoid you get, and I certainly don't need any help in that department. I kind of tend to run a little paranoid as it is just because I'm realistic. But that didn't help, so I took some time off from the mic- or from the true crime stuff. But we're going to get back to it today because I'm, you know, not feeling paranoid anymore. So let's uh, ruin that. We're going to talk today about the unsolved mystery of the Circleville letters. Circleville. What's that? Where's that? Hmm. This is a true crime conspiracy that'll keep you up at night. I guarantee you. This is some freaky shit. So people really can't get enough of hearing about crimes like creepy murders and mysterious deaths. And honestly, can't really blame them, because it's always morbidly fascinating for some fucking reason. And I want you guys to listen carefully, because the story today that I tell you is true. And I was there with Billy Jacobs. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad fucking joke. People that get it will get it. Anyway, enough of that. It was the afternoon of February 7th, 1983. Circleville, Ohio could stand in for nearly any American town. Settled in the 18th century, its circular layout inspired the town's name, like a circle jerk. And today it claims fame for its annual pumpkin festival, which does sound pretty fucking cool. But that's not why most people outside of Ohio know about Circleville's name. For years, stories about a dramatic 
1970s-era saga have circulated. See, there's a circle reference again. The mystery of the Circleville letters have the makings of a great thriller. From threatening notes to a vicious murder and suspected cover-up, and that's just the beginning. Most accounts about what happened in Circleville are full of speculation and a whole lot of conspiracy theory, but one thing is for sure. It all began with the letters. In 1976, a local school bus driver named Mary Gillespie received a note written in clunky block letters. It contained a shocking accusation. The letter, the letter writer alleged that Gillespie was having an affair with the school district superintendent, Gordon Massey, and urged her to stop before he exposed them both. It was signed, The Circleville Writer. But Gillespie wasn't the only one receiving disturbing notes. A number of other people in Circleville received letters in the same style, with many containing personal details about their lives. If news of letters spread between friends and neighbors, Mary Gillespie wasn't the only one spilling the beans. Although she claimed she wasn't having an affair with her superintendent, she hid the letters from her husband Ron for as long as possible. Two weeks after the original letter, Ron Gillespie received a note of his own. It read, You have two weeks and have done nothing. Make her admit the truth and inform the school board. Before closing, the mysterious letter writer threatened the Gillespies. If they didn't comply, he would broadcast it on CBS, put posters, signs, and billboards up until the truth came out. They knew they had to do something, but they weren't sure what. The Gillespie showed the letter to Ron's sister and her husband, Paul Freshour. Mary then confessed that she had some idea about who could have written them. Ron set about writing letters to the suspects, saying that he knew their identity. They sent them off, and for a while it seemed that their plan had worked. The letter stopped. Life was back to normal until one afternoon in August of 1977, when the Gillespie's telephone rang. Ron answered the phone and spoke to the person he believed to be behind the bizarre letters. Soon after the call, Ron stormed out of the house. Many believe he was going to confront the alleged letter writer. But exactly what happened next is unclear, except for one thing. Ron Gillespie never made it home. He crashed his pickup truck into a tree and died that night. It seemed like an accident, but as police continued to investigate, it became clear there was more than met the eye when it came to the crime scene. For one thing, Ron Gillespie had been carrying a gun which he fired between leaving his home and crashing his truck, but the police never recovered the bullet. Another mysterious factor is Ron's blood. It was 1.5 times the legal blood alcohol limit, which, oof, that's high. But his family claimed they hadn't seen him drink, or had, they didn't seem, he didn't seem intoxicated when he left the house. Both factors raised suspicion that his death could have been the result of foul play. Regardless, Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe ruled it an accident. I have the article for that. I'm going to read it to you. Local man killed in pickup crash. A Route 3 Circleville man was killed when his pickup truck crashed into a tree late Friday night, and six other people were injured in other accidents on Pickaway County roads. Ronald Gillespie, age 35, died of massive internal injuries in the in the 10.30 p.m. <laughs> nice. Good writing, bro. Friday accident on Five Points Pike. He was pronounced dead at the scene by... Pickaway County Coroner Dr. Ray Carroll. Before midnight Friday on Poplar Street, Nashville, Michael Blankenship, 16, of Hedges Street, Asheville, was admitted to Mercy Hospital. Wait, what? Oh, it's just the fucking rest of the obituaries. My mistake. The plot thickens. The sheriff's ruling only seemed to infuriate the letter writer, whoever they were. 
They continued to send notes accusing Mary Gillespie of having an affair with Gordon Massey and accused Sheriff Radcliffe of covering up Ron Gillespie's death. Eventually, Massey split with his wife and began relationships with Gillespie, which raised some fucking eyebrows. But Gillespie maintained that they only began seeing each other after his divorce. Bullshit. Things calmed down in Circle Jerkville, at least for a while. Uh, one morning in 1983, Mary Gillespie drove to work when she saw a disturbing sign that threatened her daughter's life. She was furious. Gillespie pulled over to tear the sign down and just narrowly missed meeting the same dark fate as her husband. The sign was a booby trap, hiding a box with a loaded gun. Whoever set it up had anticipated Gillespie's reaction and arranged the mechanism attached to the sign so the gun would go off when she tore the sign down, like a tripwire. Thankfully, the trap was made by a hillbilly and malfunctioned, and Gillespie managed to call the police unmolested. When police investigated Gillespie's brush with death, they noticed that the gun's serial numbers were still kind of visible. Rank amateur shit. They set out to track down the owner, and it led right back to one man, Paul Freshour, Mary's brother-in-law, and one of the only two people that Mary and Ron had told about the initial letter. Had he been the letter authors all along? Hmm? Freshour admitted that indeed the gun was his, but he said he'd lost track of it years before. His protestations weren't enough for Sheriff Radcliffe. He brought Fresh Hour in for a handwriting test and made him reproduce some of the Circleville letters. After Fresh Hour was arrested for attempted murder, a handwriting expert testified that he believed Fresh Hour was the man behind the anonymous letters. But even worse, Fresh Hour had no alibi for the day that Mary Gillespie found the booby trap. Though Fresh Hour maintained his innocent throughout, he never testified on his own behalf. And the trial was quick. The jury convicted him and sentenced him to 25 years in prison. Fresh Hour was imprisoned in Lima, Ohio, but still, the letters continued. <laughs> all postmarked from Columbus. Sheriff Radcliffe contacted the prison and asked them to place Fresh Hour in solitary confinement to stop the notes, even though Fresh Hour was, by all accounts, a model prisoner. They heeded the sheriff's plea, but the letters continued regardless. When Fresh Hour was eligible for parole, the board denied him as a result of the continued letters, even though no one could prove that he was the one writing them. Fresh Hour even received a letter himself from the Circleville writer while in prison. It read, Now... When are you going to believe you aren't going to get out of here? I told you two years ago. When we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all? Just when it seemed like Fresh Hour would spend his life behind bars, everything changed. New witnesses came forward claiming to have seen a man with sandy hair driving a yellow El Camino near the booby trap that nearly ended Mary Gillespie's life. At last, in 1994, Fresh Hour was granted parole. Months later, Unsolved Mysteries aired an episode about the events that unfolded in Circle Jerkville. It could have provided a fitting end for the Circle Jerkville saga, but bizarrely enough, it once again antagonized the writer. Whoever he or she was, they contacted the producers and wrote, Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you sickos will pay. Heart the Circleville writer. Investigators now believe there are multiple letter writers and they pointed the finger at a number of locals, including Ron's sister, who separated from Paul Freshour shortly before the attempt on Mary's life. Sadly, Freshour died in 2012 without ever finding out the writer's identity. While accusations have indeed been made, nothing has been sustained. The case of the Circleville writers remains unsolved, and many close to the case doubt that we'll ever know the full truth of what happened in that small Ohio town. Isn't that fucking spooky? I think so.
Americans get hungry, they head to the Pilgrim's Pantry. Welcome to the Pilgrim's Pantry. Aren't our family ready to feast? Who are those weird people over there? Oh, fair child. We're Puritans. Those are savages that taught us how to grow food and kept us from dying. After dessert, you can go over there and take some of their land or kill them. Ha <laughs> ha! Come try the best food this side of Jamestown with authentic first American feasts that include otter steaks, dried fish, and raw turnips. Plus, the kids can put on pilgrim costumes and be part of dinner by strangling a turkey or choking a chicken. Or visit on Circle the Wagons Wednesdays where we brutally slaughter indigenous populations and call it civilization. Hurrah to the Pilgrim's Pantry, where good friends, good values, and hunger are history. All right, so there's really not a whole lot on that case other than that. I encourage you guys to do a little bit of research on it yourselves. It is fascinating. Um, terrifying, but... Oops. That was my foray back into true crime. And uh, I will have more to come. I promise. I just got to find some good cases. Not good, but interesting cases to read. And now I'm going to read you some scary stories on a very particular theme kick, so... Hopefully you like him. I haven't read him. I'm going to read him to you for the first time. You were out of town for the weekend, and when you came back to your apartment, your mailbox was stuffed full. At least 30 letters. Letters with no return address. Several of them felt soggy and heavy, as though they were recently wet or perhaps contained a liquid. All the letters have your name and address written on them, and many of them have your name scratched all over them in red ink. They don't smell nice. They smell like rotting meat and old garbage, and you're reluctant to take them to your room. But curiosity gets the best of you. You manage to cart them all back to your room. Like you were going to struggle to carry 50 envelopes. You dump them in your kitchenette sink because you don't want them stinking up the rest of your apartment. You grab the one that doesn't seem as damp as the rest and that isn't covered in writing. Open it up. There's pictures inside. Pictures of people you don't know with their eyes torn out, teeth missing, unhinged jaws hanging open, throats ripped out, and you're horrified, and yet you can't help but wonder what's in the rest of the letters. Is that what you you wouldn't? Yeah, that would be my first thought. You're horrified, and yet you can't help but wonder what's in the rest of the letters. You open more and discover increasingly gruesome photos of dead people, piles of body with limbs missing, splayed open corpses on operating tables with their vital organs removed, hanged bodies that have been gutted and bled dry, some of the soggy letters had blood and other fluids in them. The more letters you open, the more you notice that not all people are strangers in these photos. Some of these people were people you used to see at work. Other people were people you went to high school with. By the time you get to the last few letters, the pictures are of mutilated bodies of close friends and family members. Eventually, you reach the last letter. You don't want to know what's in it, but it's not like you have a choice now. You peel the letter open. It's a picture of yourself. Not dead, eyes intact, no limbs missing. It's a picture of you entering your apartment building earlier that day, shortly before you collected the disgusting letters. Right then you hear a door elsewhere in your apartment open. That's all you remember, you black out. It's not that good. Kind of scary, I guess, but not really. How do you get the picture developed? Polaroids? Like he ran down there real quick without you seeing him? What the fuck is that? Bullshit. That's what that is. Horse dicks. I'm a jackass. Okay, this next one's called Love Letters. Hello, darling. Hello. 
I'm writing because I now realize that our relationship is fast approaching its end. While I'd love to believe it could go on forever, I've reluctantly, of course, grown tired of our silly routine. The spark is faded, and I can't help but hold myself responsible. From the very first time I peered through your window, <laughs> I knew that you were special. You were different from the rest, and I still believe that. There's something so interesting, so desirable about the way you carry yourself. The things you do when you believe you were alone. Watching you is what has kept me here for so very long. In fact, I remember vividly the first time I watched you sleep. You were so peaceful, yet right when I feared I was wrong about you, that I made you bored of you early, a laugh. You surprised me. You were never like the rest. There's no way you could have been. That is why I fell in love with you. You intrigued me. Nothing made me happier than to spend time with you, to see you in your natural state. Did you know that people are most themselves when nobody else is around? Oh, God. I hope not. Yes, things were so magical then. Now I've taken to watching you carry out the same routine over and over and over again. You go to work, buy groceries, and that's it. What has happened to you? You were once so full of life. Now you're so reduced to chores and hiding in bed. I have not heard a single laugh in months. Do you realize how much I miss your laugh? I don't think you could ever understand how much you mean to me. How it pains me to hear you cry like that. I told myself you would never hurt me. That you could never even try. Unfortunately, dear, that is where you began to resemble the others. What a pity. Let me tell you, do you remember the first time we spoke? That day was meant to be so special. I followed you to work that morning, hardly able to contain myself. The excitement of speaking with you that day was far too great. This was the height of my love for you. In my eyes, you could do nothing wrong. I meticulously planned our first meeting. You would never know that I'd followed you and watched you all these months. Although, when I gathered my courage to speak with you on the train, I was simply disregarded by you. The disrespect. I doubt you remember our conversation or the fact that you attempted to ignore me to begin with. I could wager anything in the world that you could not recall my name if I asked today. The conversation was nothing like I had imagined. You dimly passed my attempts at... You, you dimly passed my attempts at st starting it with short answers? Every part of you seemed to reject me before you even knew me. That hurt, darling. When I realized that, I let it slip a few things I knew from our time at home. Of course, I know about your social life, your quirky habits, and even your favorite drinks. I expected a warmer reaction, to say the least. I was the one who went out of my way to see you, wasn't I? I knew I understood you in ways that nobody else could. That was when you stopped going out. You seemed to want to close yourself off from the world. As if to take the rejection one step further, your whimsical nature seemed to go missing once you knew about me. Did you want to hide all of yourself away from me? To even take away our time at home? I didn't mean to startle you or scare you away because I love you. I can now say that I could possibly... That possibly going to speak with you a second time was my own mistake. And for that, I do apologize. I was foolish to come to your doorstep, even though I felt like it's felt like such familiar terrain. You have to understand how lost I was. I had to let my emotions... I had let my emotions escalate. Soon it was not enough to see you, to watch you. No, I needed more of you than that. I needed to interact with you once again. Having said that, our painfully short conversation and a door in my face, that doesn't sit well with me, bitch. I would simply love an apology for that. What disappoints me the most is that just like the others, you will apologize, though you won't mean it. I know this because a weapon is a great persuader. After that, everything you do will simply be out of pity. You will see me as crazy and reject me all over again. You will, com 
comply simply to make me feel better. I can't stand pity, and I don't want any of your fucking pity. That is why we must bring this to a conclusion. That way, you will be mine forever. We can skip through the usual process, as I've done all of that before. I will end this before the restraining orders, before I begin to get bitter, while good memories are still young. Even now that I know things are going awry, I can still look at you with no contempt. You may wonder now what will become of you. I can assure you, darling, just as in life you will be treated, nothing like the others. I think I'll tie ribbons. I think I'll tie ribbons around, cut off locks of your lovely hair. They'll make great decorations in my bedroom. Perhaps I'll put a tack through them so I may have them hang over my bed. Your ribs may find their way onto my living room wall, especially close to my fireplace. That way, I will always know that your bones will be warm there by the fire. That's kind of sweet. Finally, I found an antique tear catcher so that your final tears could be encased in it, and that I may have you with me always. Don't mistake me, my pet. I've never treated anybody or their remains with such reverence. You are special, and you are mine. Even when I am done with you and we are separated more permanently, I will still be yours. I will always be yours. With each victim that comes subsequently, even if there ever were a person who could return my affections, you will remain special among all those who have fallen by my hand. Love your not-so-secret admirer. Well, that's fucking spooky. Jesus Christ. For the collector who has everything, now you can own a piece of our heritage that really means something. It's a taste of history with Old Horsey, a genuine replica authentic working prohibition era domestic usage bathtub gin steel. Relive the humor, entrepreneurial spirit, and tradition of the glory days with a beverage that built a nation. Whether it's ruckus juice, alley bourbon, skull cracker, white lightning, or mama's medicine, no matter what you call it, the Old Horsey bathtub gin steel never ceases to delight. With Old Horsey, alcohol is the solution in more ways than one. You can not only take the pain away of daily life, but also put it to all kinds of other soluble uses. Cleaning cuts, removing paint, Molotov cocktails, bleaching hair, removing sight, cleaning the toilet, or use it as a fun addition to breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And your superb vintage is a handy substitute for petrol in your car. And with the world about to collapse with Y2K, you can really never be too self-sufficient. Old Horsey, a genuine replica authentic working prohibition era domestic usage bathtub gin steel. Visit bathtubginsteel.com for more. I'm not a violent person. I never have been. I know that may sound strange given my current circumstances, but you have to believe me when I tell you that I actually try to avoid confrontation as much as possible. I've always been sort of timid, almost to a fault. I'm the one who always says yes to things I don't really want to do and never speaks up when they are being disrespected. I really hate upsetting people. And I never know what to do when somebody's angry with me. Mild-tempered, that's always been me. There's one exception, and I'm not proud of it. As a matter of fact, I would do anything in the world to change this about myself, and what I'm about to say is going to sound ridiculous. It's going to sound like I'm making excuses or making things up, but I swear on everything, it's true, and I'm not exaggerating. There are certain sounds I can't endure. Everyone has certain noises they find annoying, like nails on a chalkboard or dripping water faucet. Fuck, that drives me crazy. I'm not talking about that. When I say I cannot endure certain sounds, I mean I annoy doesn't adequately describe what these sounds are to me. When I hear them, a rage engulfs me. It swells from the pit of my stomach and runs through my bloodstream like fire. My mind swirls with a horrific melting ooze of every awful sensation you can imagine. Anger, fear, contempt, pain, I cannot stop it. 
My eyes blur, my palms sweat, I feel dizzy, lose my ability to concentrate on anything but that fucking sound. Yeah, I've experienced that. What's wrong with that? Have you ever seen the film A Clockwork Orange? At the end of the movie, Alex DeLarge is trapped in a room playing music that drives him insane. He jumps out of the window to end his life. But it wasn't his life he was ultimately trying to end. It was the sound. Sound is my enemy. Of course, Alex DeLarge was a violent person. I am not. But I know what that feels like. What are these sounds that drive me to the brink of madness? The clicking of a computer mouse, a muffled radio through my apartment wall, the sound of dogs, the sounds that dogs make while drinking water. There's a long list, but the sounds that are the worst involve eating. Fuck, this could be me. Chomping, smacking, gulping, fork scraping across teeth. Oof, God, nothing fills me with rage faster. People think that the ambient background tapestry of hell is made of screaming and ripping of flesh. They're wrong. Hell's a symphony composed of the sounds of chewing. Agreed. Thoroughly agreed. But there is one. There's one sound that dwarfs all of them in its sheer malevolence to my ears. Gum. Fuck. God damn. Me too. I loathe the chewing of gum and all the sounds that come with it. The popping, squishing, snapping, smacking. Just talking about it makes me feel fucking mad. Yeah, I'm with you. I hate gum so much I can't even look at somebody that's chewing it. Gum is my telltale heart beneath the floorboards. I can't stand it. I've lost jobs over this. An open office floor plan is a nightmare for me. How do you explain to your boss the reason your work is suffering is because you can't concentrate, cannot concentrate because off in the distance a person at a desk somewhere is chewing fucking gum and pronouncing the letter S wrong. The hardest part about being this way is that nobody understands. Can't you just ignore it? After all, it's just a sound. Would you be able to ignore being repeatedly jabbed by a needle in your eye or listening to somebody scrape on a chalkboard with their nails? That's what it feels like to me. I bet if you just exposed yourself to the noise repeatedly, you would become more used to it so that it doesn't bother you anymore. Does not work. One doesn't get used to torture. You may find ways to lessen the pain, but you never get used to it. I do try to lessen the pain. I wear earmuffs and earplugs. I don't care if they make me look stupid. You know, once I even tried to deafen myself. I listen to metal music at full volume with headphones for hours with the intent of damaging my hearing, and that doesn't really work. If I'm in a restaurant and seated next to a loud eater, I'll politely ask for another table. If I'm in a movie theater and somebody's eating uh, popcorn really loud, I simply get up and move to another seat. Even... In my pain, I'm still timid. I want to scream at people like, shut the fuck up or stop chewing like a jackass, but I can't. I look insane and irrational, so I sit in silence and misery until the till the time finally comes I can get away from the fucking noise. But what if you can't get away? What do you do? You have to understand, we were trapped. I was trapped. We were stuck in an elevator when the power went out, and we'd been in there for an hour. I asked him more than once, please spit out your gum or at least chew it quietly. I don't think that was unreasonable. How hard could it be to stop chewing gum for a while? Just until somebody came out to aid until the power was on again. Please understand, I tried everything I could to quell the rage. I put my fingers in my ears. He thought that was funny and popped a big bubble in response. I didn't have my headphones or earplugs with me. I had left him in the office thinking I was coming right back. I controlled myself as long as I could. The rage just overtook me. I went blind with it. It was like another force had taken over my body. When I saw the life drain from his eyes, now I could think of was good. Silence. Now it's finally quiet. And when the gum dropped from his mouth, I stomped it into the carpet so hard I broke the heel of my shoe. A few minutes of silence, and the rage dissipated. Once my senses returned to me, I saw what I had done. As awful as it was, and I do acknowledge that it was awful, I still feel nothing but relief. Remorse would only come later. Of course, I'm remorseful. As I said in the beginning, I'm not... 
proud of any of this. I want nothing, nothing more than to just say I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time focusing. I'm just trying to explain that. Jesus Christ, stop clicking your pen. <laughs> uh, funny. But uh, it's actually, well, not murdering somebody over it, but definitely surprisingly common. I mean, I I worked for a lady that, that hated that fucking shit as much as I did, and I agree with her. It's fucking infuriating. And everyone has that little thing that drives them nuts. You know what yours is. I know what mine is. Everyone has it. Whether or not you admit it is a different story. But they exist, and they're very common. Break time. Hey, baby, what's up? Hey, let me get you a little something. Hey, bartender, couple beers right here. You better get that 40-ounce Marlick away from me. I need some real romance. Getting laid is never easy, but it just got a little easier with Chateau de Buff, the continental, sophisticated, and oh-so-European way to get her shit-faced and sorry in the morning. Ooh, I feel like I'm in Europe. Got some cheese for this shit? It's a perfect companion to the table or nightstand. Grab a bottle, smell the cork, Sniff the contents and look instantly civilized. It's the wine that merges sophistication and nuance with complex and satisfying results. Ooh, this wine's delicious. Let's call knock some boots. Chateau de Buff. Y2K will be on us before we know it. Will it be the end of civilization or a new beginning? There's only one thing you need to do to be fully prepared for the worst. Log on to ammunition.net. The friendly neighborhood gun store has now gone cyber optic on the internet. Hell, if you're not on the internet by now, you fully deserve to get shot. Order the protection you need in seconds. The internet is like a gun. Just point, click, and shit your pants while waiting for the cops to show up. With serious apocalypse just around the corner, show the looting, bloodthirsty hordes you mean business with easy-to-lay domestic minefields that even a toddler could use. Y2K. It's coming, and you'd better be ready. It's sink or swim out there, and we're offering the ultimate life preserver, an arsenal of guns, and a bucket load of fear. Log on to ammunition.net now. Protecting your rights online. An open letter to the killer of Samantha B. If you're somehow able, able to read this, wherever you are now, know that I will find you. No father should have to watch their child be lowered into the sacred silence of the earth. I don't know if there's a right age to die, but I do know that it isn't 17. Better at birth before eyes had filled with light and I had learned to love so deeply. Better late in old age when life's fleeting joys have been more than tasted. Better not at all, but a world where prayers are answered and a world where they're not needed, a world that isn't ours. All the hours I spent playing on the floor were wasted. All the faces and bad jokes I made to get a smile, all the music I played to inspire a song, or the books I read to inspire a dream were all wasted. I thought that was all it took to make me a good parent, but I was wrong. I invested my entire life into a single, into this single purpose, but everything I had to give was not enough. I wasn't there when I, when I was needed most, and nothing I've ever done or could ever do can ever change that. The police found the knife you did it with in the woods where you dropped it. It was a slow death, they told me, but passing out would have avoided most of the pain. 
I wonder if you regretted it as soon as your blade entered the skin. Did you mean for it to dig so deep? Did you panic when the blood wouldn't stop? Did you call for help or struggle in vain to bandage the wound? Or were you too ashamed? I wonder if you planned to kill at all. Or whether time was flying too fast and blood pounding too loud and you didn't know how to make it stop until it was too late. Were you think of thinking of anybody but yourself when you did it? I don't know what private torment brought you to this point, but taking a life will never cease that pain. The pain is passed from one person to the next, enduring past life, enduring past death, past mortal strength to bear, until the next day, long after you've gone, and the next victim sees the sun dawn without light or warmth, and all sounds and colors bleed into an endless gray. And then that sun too will set, passing on your pain once again. You must think that I hate you. I don't think anyone would blame me if I did. I hate that you destroyed my family, but I forgive you for everything. You may not believe me, but I promise you it's true. It's everything about this world that made you into someone capable of such an act that I will never forgive. I still don't know why you killed yourself, Samantha. Oh! If you're somehow able to read this, though, know that I will find you and somehow, someday, we'll be together again. Jesus, that was a fucking good one. The old switcheroo. Damn. Fuck. That was heavy. Jesus Christ. Oof. Alright, this is probably going to be the last one. For my birthday, I decided to treat myself to a dark web mystery box. It was a service I'd used several times before, and they had never disappointed. Sending heaps of useless but funny shit to my doorstep. Happy birthday, Trevor, a note said in the box when I picked it up. I picked up the package placed at my doorstep and noticed the letter attached to it. There comes a time in every man's life where their skills and knowledge has to be tested. With that in mind, I shall set you out on a treasure hunt. Please follow the instructions in the box and for safety reasons, burn every letter once it's been read or solved. Yeah, fuck you. No, I'm not destroying evidence until I know what's at the end of this treasure hunt. Lick my balls. To my surprise, the note was signed by Pete, my best friend since childhood. It was a neat surprise, but I was confused as to how exactly he'd gotten involved with the anonymous service, because Pete is selling booty on the dark web. Whether he was just an active user there himself who'd recognize me, or he'd been contacted by the website, I was unsure. Nevertheless, it seemed like a cool gift. You seem like a dumb kid. My first clue would simply be a piece of paper with two incoherent words written on it. it said, Van Mace. Could it be a name, maybe a location? I sat down with it and contemplated the words in front of me. After a minute, I realized it was an anagram. The letters just had to be rearranged to form a new meaning. Man cave. Or vamne. Was it? <laughs> Man cave was a hidden message. It was in reference to Pete's basement, a place we frequently spent our Saturday nights jerking each other off and playing video games and getting drunk, just the two of us. Ugh. I burned the letter in accordance with the instructions and quickly made my way to Man Cave. There, I used my spare key to unlock the door, half expecting a surprise party. Instead, all I found was another clue. An Ace of Spades. Oh, the Ace of Spades? The Ace of Spades. And a picture. Both were pinned to a board with an unfamiliar knife. I removed the knife and checked out the clues. The picture itself was a place we frequented uh, with our friends to smoke and relax a beautiful field which nobody knew about. It was just a short hike outside the city. You think a short hike outside the city and nobody knows about it? You're dumb. I made my way there in about an hour. Our usual place was hidden. 
in the shade beneath some trees. Once there, I noticed a shovel sticking out of the ground on top of it laid some fresh dirt. Spade. The ace of spades. Very creative, I chuckled to myself. Without hesitation, I picked it up and started digging through the ground. After less than a minute, I hit something solid. Except, Expecting another clue, I bent down and brushed away the dirt. As I put my hand on the cold surface, I immediately retracted it in shock. It was Pete, buried under the dirt, dead from stab wounds to the chest. In shock, I called the police, devastated by the loss of my best friend. While I waited, I sat on the ground trying to figure out what had happened. Yeah, that's what you do when your best friend dies. You sit on the ground and try to figure it all out before the cops get there. Fuck you, asshole. One of my best friends died, and that was not what I did. I think I remember drinking one of those big things of sangria from Trader Joe's because I was broke and didn't have... Never mind. That's when I realized that I had burned every note and that my fingerprints were all over the murder scene. From the strange knife in the basement to the key, the shovel, the shovel used to bury him. I'd been set up. Yeah, you deserved it, you stupid fuck. He's like Lee Harvey Oswald. I'm a patsy. Oh, fuck you. Fucking, are you a 12-year-old? How'd you fall for that shit? Yeah, put your hands around this here, this here knife and take down your letter. Dipshit, fucking stupid asshole. Good luck explaining that one to a jury. No, it was a, I got a letter in the mail. I ordered something from the dark web. I'd love to see that court case. That would be, uh, that would be funny. That would be amusing. Anyway, that's going to be all today, folks. Thank you all for tuning back in. I'm your host and narrator, spring Jack. Let's go over some stats real quick. First of all, you guys have made this show, as I was saying in the beginning, extremely successful, and that genuinely surprises me, because I didn't really expect more than like 30 listeners per episode, if that, and uh, you guys never cease to amaze. And for that, I'm grateful. If you guys would like to reach out to me for any reason, you want to complain, tell me I'm fucking stupid, or make a request, you can do so by reaching out on Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. I can't guarantee you a swift response, but I can guarantee you I will respond to you eventually. Uh, sorry for the lag in advance, but I'm pretty bad about social media. I just don't care about it enough to get on it every day, I guess, and just not really my thing. I don't really like people, but I like you guys. So I will get back to you if you want to send a message to Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. Just DM me or whatever the fuck, because I've been deplatformed by Google, those fucking cocksuckers. So uh, my, my G Suite account is officially dead. Oh, well. Fuck them. They can eat my dick. But from the last episode, let us see... Okay, top countries, United States, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, Ireland, United Arab Emirates, Germany, Jamaica, Poland, and Norway. Thank you, guys. It's nice to see that I'm in a substantial amount of different countries. That's flattering to me. All right, now let's talk about cities. Top 10, Centennial, Colorado, keeping that number one spot locked down. I appreciate it, you guys. Thank you very much. West Lake Stevens, Washington, number two. Atlanta, Georgia. Dallas, Texas. Texas, you were, you've never been off the list. Thank you. San Jose, California. Houston, Texas. Chicago, Illinois. Glad to see you guys back. San Antonio, Texas. Los Angeles, California. And Manhattan, New York. That's a new one as of, I think, two weeks ago. Welcome, Manhattan. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, squad, that's going to be it. Thank you all very much for tuning back in.
feeling exceptionally grateful today, so pardon me for praising you guys as much as I have. But if you'd like to make a donation to the Patreon, I've gotten several new ones. I genuinely appreciate the donations. Thank you guys very much because I am in desperate need of a new recording monitor. My fucking computer shits on my face like every four days, and I get the blinking question mark of doom. And so I've gotten... Uh, not really good, but I've gotten a slightly more proficient at writing lines of code into the terminal commands to try to override whatever startup issue my computer's having, which is uh, crippling, because if I, you know, I can't look up what to write on the internet if my fucking computer's broken, so I have to kind of feel it out. It's a, it's a fucking pain in the ass, and I'm trying to buy a better computer for recording and shit, but... Thank you all to those that donated to Patreon. It's much appreciated, and it is contributing to that fund. So thank you for that. And uh, that's going to be it. All right, guys. Till next time. Stay spooky. Motherfucker. Motherfucker.